So we're in the eighth chapter of Mark's Gospel, and we're not looking at every verse in our studies in Mark. We're concentrating on those verses that have a gospel emphasis. And uh, the end of chapter eight is the dividing line, the watershed in this gospel, where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers on behalf of them, you are the Christ. That splits the gospel into two. Uh, from then onwards, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. So uh, we're still in Jesus's uh, sabbatical, and it's coming to an end. It lasted for a few months, where he and his disciples were in the northern parts uh, of Galilee, even beyond Palestine in Gentile territory. And I want us to look this morning at uh, the Pharisees. We've come across them quite often. Uh, not that they're nice company, uh, but at least their uh, criticisms of Jesus have given uh, some of the most memorable statements regarding the gospel. And we're going to look this morning at the Pharisees asking for a sign. So verses 11 to 12. That's not long, is it? Verses 11 and 12. Let's read again. The Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now, at first sight, it sounds a very plausible request that these religious leaders want a sign from heaven so that they can believe in Jesus Christ. And maybe somebody here this morning, uh, they will say, I'm not a Christian, and if God could prove to me that he exists and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then I would believe. You want a sign. But the problem with the Pharisees' request is this they'd already been given signs. Uh, in the translation, it said they asked for a sign, testing him. What more signs do they need? Um, haven't we been looking at several miracles already? Uh, I can't remember what miracle we looked at last Sunday. I think it was the healing of the deaf and mute man. Now, that was a sign of the salvation in Jesus Christ. And didn't Jesus exorcise a demon-possessed man in this region? That's another sign that he can break the power of the devil. And didn't Jesus even raise somebody from the dead? Uh, it's recorded in Luke's Gospel. What more do these religious leaders want? And, and you know, if you're saying to me, uh, Pastor, you Christians, you, you've committed mental suicide in believing in Jesus Christ. You know, people believe all sorts of weird and wonderful things today. Um, Wynne uh, was sharing with us in the vestry about some of the views people in West Wales have. Uh, they're going around to tell people about the Saviour in West Wales and 
one person, a very educated person, believes that after we die, we become a spark. That, that's where life is heading to, becoming a spark. And we're flying above the North Pole and then flying above the South Pole. What stupidity, if I can say that. I read a statement by somebody, a very clever man, and he said, he wasn't a Christian, but he said, evolution. We've evolved from an amino acid. That's demeaning, isn't it? How can an amino acid get to the stage where it becomes William Shakespeare? You know, that's to me, is utter folly. To, to believe that. So if you're saying to me that as Christians we are believing in things that are very weird and wonderful, well, what about you and people outside the church? Now, I don't know if you noticed in the reading of this chapter, but it was a bit deja vu. If you compare chapter 7 with chapter 8, you have a repetition. Did, did you notice that? Chapter 8 began with the feeding of the 4,000. Chapter 7, the feeding of the 5,000. After the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee. After the feeding of the 4,000, they crossed the same sea in a boat. After they crossed the sea in Mark 7, the Pharisees came with objections. And here in Mark 8, after they crossed the sea, the Pharisees turn up again. It's repeating itself. And I think Mark is doing that on purpose. Jesus' words to the disciples, I try to get the mood of it. Why don't you still understand? I'm repeating, Mark says, the miracles of Jesus Christ so that you can understand. I was a school teacher once. Uh, I hope that still doesn't come out. I'm trying not to be a schoolmaster in running the church but do you know what a good teacher seeks to do this is what we were told before we went into teaching a good teacher makes a point and then he makes the same point again in a slightly different way and then he makes the same point again in another different way in order to get the kids to understand and i can still remember trying to do that and still seeing that glazed look in the children's eyes. You know that look? And I think Mark, and can I say the Lord Jesus, is feeling a bit like that. Don't you still understand? Miracle after miracle. Gospel sermon after gospel sermon. Every Sunday morning, we've been looking at this salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Do you know, I've been making the same points every Sunday in different ways. We've been looking at different aspects of this salvation. But it's the same thing. Only Jesus Christ will save. Only faith in him saves us. Uh, you know, I uh, started seeking Jesus when I went to university, as you know. And we went to this church, and I'd never heard the gospel before until I went to the evangelical church in Aberystwyth. And after every meeting, a man came up to me, an elderly man, he's died now, and he said to me, do you understand yet? <laughs> and he asked every meeting, 
And by the end, I was avoiding him. I, I was afraid of having him ask the question and me having to say, I'm afraid not. But after many months, I went into that church on a Sunday evening and I didn't try and avoid him after the service. Because when he came up to me and asked me, do you understand? I said, yes. And he said, hallelujah. And tears rolled down his eyes. Yeyan was his name. Do you know what I want to do? I want to be like Yeyan. Sunday after Sunday, I want to repeat. Do you understand? Do you see? That salvation is all of Jesus Christ. That you don't have to do anything. Just trust in him. Repetition. It's not vain repetition. This is done on purpose. These poor religious leaders were seeking a sign. They didn't really want to believe in Jesus Christ. Enough signs have been given. And I think enough signs have been given for you and for me. To put our trust in Jesus Christ. Um, let me give you this anecdote. Um, there was an evangelist called Ironside. Uh, not the same as the detective. <laughs> uh, he was preaching in the open air in San Francisco. Uh, I know that's the place where Ironside the detective was based in. But this was a different man. And an atheist came up to him. And challenged him. I want to have a head-to-head debate. Christianity against atheism and Ironside said okay I'll ask you to bring two people a man and a woman who've got problems maybe alcoholism or something like that and who've been transformed by atheism I want you to produce two people who've had this wonderful change as a result of believing atheism And the man said, I, ca- I can't. I can't. Well, Ironside said, I can bring hundreds of people who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And aren't we surrounded here by people who were once blind, who were once completely bound in sin, and they've been changed by Jesus Christ. You know, you know, you may be in a family and there are people in that family who've been converted, but not you. And you're still asking for a sign. What more do you need? God is saying, don't you realize these miracles of grace? Isn't that enough? So that, that's the first thing. I don't want to dwell on that. This asking for a sign. <sighs> Get, get over it. There's enough evidence. But then Jesus goes on to say something, and it sounds quite hard, but we need to look at it. He says, why does this generation seek a sign? I'm telling you the truth. No sign shall be given to this generation. Now, Mark doesn't record all the words. Uh, if you turn to Matthew, you have a more detailed version of it. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 is one example Uh, Jesus said these words on a number of occasions. Verse 39 of Matthew 12. 
He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, that's where Jonah preached, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn them because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Do do you know what Jesus did? He didn't just say those words. He sighed. We've come across this sigh in the previous miracle, this deep yearning. It's as if Jesus Christ is looking at these glazed-eyed disciples and he's feeling sorry for them. And he's looking at those religious Pharisees and he's feeling angry at them for not believing in him. And he says, oh, you're asking for a sign. I'm not going to give you any sign, but I'm going to give you one sign and that'll be it. This is the sign that will be for all generations. And you know what that sign is? It's the sign of Jonah. Do you know Jonah? Uh, we had um, Ben Fidian uh, speak in our prayer meeting a few weeks ago. Ben is lecturing in the Faith Mission College up in Edinburgh. And he gave a very vivid illustration of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who'd been sent of God to Nineveh, a very wicked city. But Jonah disobeyed and he bought a one-way ticket in the opposite direction. But as we know, God judged him. And uh, Jonah fell into the sea, was swallowed by a whale, and for three days and three nights he was in the belly of the whale. And then the whale vomited him out, and Jonah went in the right direction to Nineveh. And Ben's point was, what a sight Jonah must have been. None of us have been three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. But if we had been, the acid in the whale's stomach would have bleached us. So imagine the people of Nineveh saying this man who's bleached, purified. What a message. And Jesus is saying, like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that whale, so I will be three days and three nights in death. And then I will rise again. That's the sign. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the sign, my friends. No more signs. What a sign. Now, Jesus is saying, greater than Jonah is here. The people of Nineveh believed Jonah. You are not believing a greater than Jonah. So all I want to do is ask, how is Jesus Christ greater than Jonah? And then we'll be finished. Jonah was a man, a fallible man with the same hopes and fears as we have. I I think most preachers feel a bit like Jonah before entering into the pulpits. The elders there have, have to urge me to come up these steps. Uh, Jesus Christ was greater. He was a man, but he's God. How did we start this service? After I read the call to worship. Mighty Christ. Mighty he, man's nature, takes. 
Isn't that amazing? The God-man, greater than Jonah. And then Jonah was disobedient. Uh, He went in the opposite direction that God wanted him to go. And God chastised him, and rightly so. Jesus Christ was obedient. He's the only obedient man to have ever walked this earth. Uh, Even when we obey outwardly, our hearts don't want to obey often, do they? Um, I I remember um, as a child uh, being told by my parents to do certain things and not to do other things. And I would obey, but my heart was crying out in rebellion. Jesus, perfect. Perfect in his obedience. And yet, this is the amazing thing. He was judged. Jonah deserved the chastening that he got. And he was only chastening. Jesus Christ, the innocent one, was made sin for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. So he was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Jesus Christ on that cross as our substitute actually died. He didn't descend into the belly of a whale. He descended into hell on the cross. Do do you know what happened on the cross? Uh, I forgot to mention this in the children's talk. This this balm, uh, this blood of Jesus Christ that heals us from sin. Do you know how it comes out? This cactus, the aloe vera only comes out when you break the cactus. And this isn't breaking because it's too uh, uh, green. But it was the perfect body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that was broken on the cross. On the cross thy body broken cancels every penal tie. That's what causes the blood, the aloe vera as it were, spiritually, to come and heal our souls. Don't you see it? When I started in this church, I gave an example of a lady who couldn't really speak English, who finally understood the gospel. She got her eureka moment, and all she said was this, he die, me no more die. He die, me no more die. Have you got it? It's so simple. No wonder... That gentleman in Aberystwyth, every meeting, went up to me and he didn't quite shake me by the lapels, but he said, oh, it's so simple. Jonah was vomited from the belly of the whale. Jesus Christ wasn't vomited, was he, from that empty tomb. Uh, One of my favorite modern hymns is In Christ Alone by Stuart Townend. And this is how he describes it. This is the greater than Jonah. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God, in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath, the judgment of God, was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. And then it goes on. This is the resurrection. There in the ground his body lay, not in the belly of the whale, but in Sheol, light of the world by darkness slain. Then, not being vomited, but bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. What's that hymn we sing every Easter Sunday? Uh, Up from the grave he arose Christ is alive, my friends. 
and he can save you from sin and the power of death, a greater than Jonah. And Jonah, he didn't really want to preach to the Ninevites, did he? A reluctant prophet, Jesus Christ, yearns for your salvation and mine. That sigh, he longed that even these Pharisees might believe in him. Greater than Jonah. Listen to one hymnist. Come, easiness, poor and wretched. Is that you? Weak and wounded, like me being wounded by that scolding water. Sick and sore, sore. Jesus, ready. Stands to say, he's ready. Are you full of pity? Joined with power. He is able. He is willing. Come and doubt no more. I can't give you any greater sign than the death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Because at this moment, he is in heaven the man in heaven. And do you know what preaching is? This is why I'm so, so nervous to come into this pulpit. I'm not giving a talk here. I'm sent by Jesus Christ to be his representative. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it's as if he is pleading through the preacher, be reconciled to God. I don't want you to hear my pleadings, but the voice of Jesus Christ bidding you to come to him. And if you are his, oh, may we see more and more. Um, I, I remember Elwyn Davis, a very godly preacher, and he was lecturing to us uh, on uh, the communion. And he was talking about the body of Jesus Christ being represented by the bread. And I just didn't get it. And I remember him looking at me very earnestly and saying in Welsh, Win, 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 do you understand? <laughs> I already believed. But he wanted me to see with even greater clarity the depths of Jesus's love. Oh, my friends, as we Sunday after Sunday morning hear the old, old story of Jesus and his love, may we plumb into the depths of this. It's an ocean, isn't it? Here is love, vast as the ocean. And when you die, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you won't be a spark flying over the North Pole and then flying over the South Pole. You will be lost in the ocean of Jesus' love, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Believe on him before it's too late, for his namesake. Amen.